a Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, welcome along. Great to have you with us. It is the V8 Salute Podcast, polished by our friends at Bowden Zone, premium car care available at Repco in Australia and New Zealand, and some other auto stores as well, but Repco's the place to go. Uh, I'm Aaron Noonan, he's Will Dale. Say hello, Will Dale. Hello. No, say hello, Will Dale. <laughs> hello, Will Dale. There you go, you just said hello to yourself. That's how good we're going today. Uh, these episodes of the V8 Salute Podcast, where we've taken a look back at the history of some of the upcoming circuits on the Supercars Championship calendar, have been good fun to do this year. So, it really has. Yeah, yeah. So we thought, you know what, there's another round coming. Let's do another one. We're, we're a little bit early before it, it's not on this weekend, uh, next weekend, from a Sydney Motorsport Park point of view, Bow Repairs, Sydney Super Night. So we thought we'd take a little rewind back down memory lane and have a look at SMP and Eastern Creek uh, over its time. And the reality is here that there is so much to chew through here. But controversy has always been lurking. At Eastern Creek. And I don't just mean shriek at the creek 20 years ago. <laughs> I mean just getting the place started was enough of a bun fight. It was a bit of an ordeal, wasn't it? Because this was and is a government-backed facility? Or yeah, is it back yeah, in private? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it was built essentially to go and pinch some form of world championship race away from somewhere else. And the target was, yeah, the 500cc Grand Prix from Phillip Island. Mm. And it was built by the same mob that re- that renovated Phillip Island, the Barfield Group, with mm. John Barnard and all that. Oh, Bob Barnard. Bob Barnard, John yes. Barnard designing Ferraris at Phillip Island. Correct, Could have yes. been the one and the same. Yeah. But wasn't there – I seem to – everyone points to that Nissan 500 – touring car race in late 1990, which has mm. been released on DVD, by the way. It's in our V8 Salute Superstore now in uh, fantastic quality. I know there's some versions lurking around on YouTube, but the version on the DVD is, is far superior. But because they hadn't been able to sign off uh, for the fire safety of the grandstand, that main grandstand <laughs> still there, it was closed for the grand opening race meeting, the big Group A touring car race. You couldn't go on the grandstand because it was shut. Yeah, which was very very unfortunate the day before when it absolutely hosed down oh. with a thunderstorm and the bulk of the facility flooded, so you couldn't even get out of oh. out um, undercover there. Miserable. But but it, that touring car race, and of course that was not a part of the Australian Touring Car Championship. It took until no. 1992 for the actual championship to come and, and visit Eastern Creek. That was a very much a one-off event on a Saturday, which was a bit different to what yes. we would normally expect. Because it was live on Wide World of Sports. Channel 9, exactly, with the, the great man Darrell Eastlake letting rip. With Murray Walker. With Murray, that's right, because he was out for the Grand Prix, which yeah. was on the following weekend. The preceding weekend. It was the weekend before. Yeah. So, and the other element to it all was that Bathurst 1000 winner Win Percy was in the commentary box too because the Holden Racing team didn't run that event because it wasn't on the calendar at the start of the year no budget, and of course mm. Tom Walkinshaw was famous for not, you know, throwing more budget at things than <laughs> yes. absolutely had to be had. So you had this really unique scenario, and the story's been well told by Crompo. Um, it's in his book. If you haven't got a copy, grab a copy. I'm sure it will come up at our V8 Sleuth Open Night in Ballarat on Thursday, August 3. If you haven't booked tickets, uh, get onto it now. Have a look in the show notes to click on the link to, uh, to book yourself some tickets. If you're listening to this, before um, August 3 in 2023. If you're listening after it, you've missed a great night. It was fantastic. We all had a ball. It was really good. It was really good. (laughs) Um, But you had this unique scenario where Crompton very nearly drove either the Mobile Sierra or the Nissan GTR and missed out on a race drive in both and ended up watching at home while still a factory contracted Holden Racing Team driver, the weirdness of motorsport. Yeah, he nearly got the drive in a Brock Sierra because Andrew Medecki had 
think the it was shits. a yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was passed off as some for, potentially some form of ear infection that made him dizzy I and I don't know where his no, ear was, yeah. but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, he had some he had some issues. So yeah. he missed that, and of course, the weekend before, Mark Scaford um, destroyed one of the Gibson GTRs mm. at Adelaide, and um, was still not um, back at full colour, and there were doubts whether he'd be up to driving, but uh, Scaifey said, no, 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 I'll, I'll do this. It's amazing what happens when there's someone standing there ready to drive your car. <laughs> yes. As Crompton says, he came out looking like Quasimodo with his back all hunched and his neck all kinked and he was not in a very good way no. and uh, still managed to, to drive. But as we pointed out, it took until 1992 for the championship to first visit there and it's had a bit of a strange on and off cycle of the calendar because – so it comes on in 92, has a good solid run, but then we get into the V8 supercar, a Vesco era. Of course, mm. there's blues about Bathurst, so there's a year where it's not on the calendar. Then all of a sudden we're there a couple of times a year for some years, yeah. the grand finals yeah. there uh, for a few times in what, 03 and 04. Which makes sense. It was the big circuit that's right near Australia's biggest city. Yep. Trying yep. to tap into that. And that was the start of a Vesco and V8 supercars running their own events, which yes. now they run more than they don't on their mm. calendar. Uh, but then again, 06, no round at Eastern Creek. Um, 09 to 11, no round. So you had this interesting period of the sport where this track's not even on the radar. It's not on the calendar. Comes back on 12, disappears again after that. And then, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, it was gone again. Sorry, back in 12, gone in 13, back in 14, and then through, and then of course we missed a year, and then COVID, and then you know and then we, we, were we were multiple there, times. We were there full time, pretty yeah. much. So it's got this. Well, the stats are a little bit skewed in history because we had what four rounds there in a row. What was that? Twenty twenty one. Yes, yeah. and then we had the first round of twenty twenty two there, and there were a couple of rounds there in twenty twenty as well. That's right, so which was the, the kickoff round after we'd had the COVID pause. Yeah, so, so more than made up for all of the absences in preceding years, I think. Yeah, there's been plenty of racing there um, in terms of supercars over the years, but there's also been lots of other stuff that – and quite often we get asked about things, um, oh, but you didn't include that. Well, you didn't include that race. You didn't talk about this Bathurst race because they're not part of the championship. Yes. We've just got so used to, I think, now all everything being part of – a points-paying championship event that it's yeah. kind of forgotten that there was quite often events that just weren't. Totally. And, and Eastern Creek's part of that. The, the 500k race we talked about, that was a one-off. Which was part of the Australian Endurance Championship. True. It and was it was too. a Glenn Seaton title win, even it, though he didn't win that race. It was. But he'd won the Sandown 500. Yes. Didn't finish Bathurst, finished third or second? Second or third. He and Colin Bond drove the PJ car because Bondy didn't drive his, his own. Mm. So then the Winfield Triple Challenge fired up for 92. So that ran till 95, which was the bikes, cars and drag racing um, extravaganza. And mm. that was a huge event always at the end of January. Massive, yeah. It's always been, drew huge crowds. Oh, huge crowds. Huge crowds. Huge crowds. <laughs> yeah. See where it went. See where it went. Because we've had numerous pre-season test days there over the years, um, the, the official category rollout tests. There was the the rollout of the Merc and the Volvo and remember the super test that was <laughs> primarily constructed to go head-to-head -head against the Bathurst 12-hour on another network. Yeah, I, I remember that test. I was there. But I there's, was there. Well, I was at Bathurst, so we had it covered between us. Yes. But there's another event that you've noted, noted down here that I actually just don't remember this. 1991, what the hell was the Thalgo shootout? So even though there was no touring car round at Eastern Creek in 91, what there was a lot of was Australian Drivers' Championship rounds because they just hosted all of them at 
Eastern Creek. And a lot of the cars were based there. Yes. Mm. Um, as part of the promotion of that, and I think one of the sponsors of one of the Formula Brabham's, as they were called there, was Falgo, the beauty products yeah, and yep, company. Yep. And they had a big promotion running throughout the broadcast all year. Where, on Channel 10. On Channel 10. Yep. Where all different types of race vehicle were all going to have a single like shootout lap and you had to rank them in order of fastest to slowest. And if you got that right and your entry was chosen, you'd head off to Falgo's luxury beauty thing in France. <laughs> Falgo Le Ball. Falgo Le Ball. <laughs> And you travel there on the T- TGV train, things 300 kilometres at 300 <laughs> kilometres an hour. The things you thought you'd never say in your broad- broadcast. I know, life. right? Yeah. It's it's somewhere deep in the recesses of my brain, it Will Hagen out. saying this it voiceover. Yeah, it was there. It was well, there. One, So among this field, there was Scott Doohan on a Peter Jackson Yamaha Superbike. Which connects to our recent story from our last track episode yes. in Townsville where we did have a V8 with podcast listener Email us to say he was there. Yeah. He was there for that superbike race in Townsville and sent us through a couple of photos, which we need to post on our we socials. Do. Or something. We do. Yeah, yeah. So Scotty Doohan. Yep. Um, Terry Byers had one of his Pontiac NASCARs oh, there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's ace. Uh, that, unfortunately, I think was the slowest of all the cars. Not surprising. Uh, Andrew Lindsay had a supercart there, yep. like, uh, which actually didn't end up doing the full lap. It um, seized at the end of the front straight as he started. Right. But was given a bogey time. Yep. Uh, you also had... Mark McLaughlin in the Formula Brabham, which was the fastest car. You had, uh, what's his name? There was a Formula 2 driver, George Parkinson in an old cheetah. Yep. Greg Crick's Honda Sports Sedan. Because Sports Sedan's race with the Australian Drivers' Championship on those events quite often in yep. 91. Although yep. it was meant to be Keith Carling's Nissan Twin Turbo 300ZX, but that's neither <laughs> yeah, here nor there. That yeah. would have slandered the competition Yeah, that, w- that would have made the order have to be revisited. Hey, he's got his Mazda RX-7 Sports Sedan back up again. He sure too. does. Yeah. yeah. good-looking deal. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, of course, Glenn in a Peter Jackson Ford Sierra. Right. And who was fastest? The Formula Holden. Formula Holden by a comfortable margin. I can't oh, remember. Formula, ex- sorry, Formula, sorry, Formula Brabham. Brabham. Mm, yes, yes. Um, I can't remember the exact order, but I know Glenn was fractionally slower than the Superbike. Come on, Glenn. And ahead, of, ahead of the Supercart and ahead of the NASCAR. Not shocked about the NASCAR. No. Just quietly. Not shocked about that. Yeah, okay. That's an interesting one. How many people knew about the Felgo shootout? Not that many, but how many do now? Everyone who just heard it. Yeah. So <laughs> At least two people, the prize winners who went to France. Yeah, yeah. Magnifique. I mm. wonder how it was. It's bon. uh, 1992, Touring Car Championship starts. Let's get into a bit of ATCC slash V8 supercar history at Eastern Creek. And when I think about that place in the early years, it always sat in the middle of the Touring Car Championship mm. pretty much. You know, in terms of the number of rounds, um, but my my standout memories from that very first round in '92 were probably more so for crashes than anything else. Thomas Mesera, our great close personal friend on the V8 Sleuth podcast, um, smashing the living hell out of a HRT VN Commodore on the exit of Turn One and slapping it into the inside wall multiple times and having to swap to the spare car. I was going to say, like, how, fa- how flash is that? Just pull the next one off yeah, the truck. Yeah, Let's, pretty much, yeah. pretty much. Um, and then Larry Perkins, who had a that red VL Commodore that was going so fast at the time, spinning at turn two from the onboard with Dick Johnson 
And as the big rear Batmobile wing of the Commodore spins around, it just punches a hole straight through the passenger window of the Shell Sierra, all viewed yeah. by the race cab at the time. It's an amazing shot, an amazing bit of live television to oh. happen just to, just for the camera operator to spin the camera around knowing something was about to happen. And then being, absolutely nailed it. And the it. director being with the camera in the car while it's unfolding. Yeah. From television production point of view, mwah, yeah. magnifique. Could not ask for better. Perfect, perfect. But does anyone remember who won those races? I feel like it was John Bow. I feel like it was John Bow mm. who won both races. Mm. Mm. I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. Um, but I think because that was at the time of the last year of Group A, or that was Australianised Group Australianized A. Australianised Group A, The parody yeah. was introduced to various cars and there was handicapping of the Nissan with the weight. and Some cars were more equal than others. Yeah, there was a bit of that going on. So I think Tony Longhurst was pretty competitive in that little BMW and just kept on keeping on at them over the course of, of time. It sort of became a place – I mean, Seaton dominated the triple challenges there for those couple of years. He won, what, three of them and Alan Jones won the last one. So Which Winfield must have been stoked yeah, about. Which, <laughs> they must have been absolutely wrapped that oh. Peter Jackson-backed cars won all of their events. Yeah, yeah, that didn't go down well at all, did it? I've, I absolutely remember watching those on Channel 9 that, what, a week or two or three later on yeah. a Saturday morning they'd run that and then they'd run another show with all the drag racing um, in it. But 93, I don't know what it was about Dick and Larry. Like they got together again the next year because LP was half asleep, I think, driving around in practice or qualifying and – inadvertently fired Dick off the road. Yeah, they didn't wait till till the racing started for that one. <laughs> no, yeah. no race cam for this one though. No, it was up near the final sequence of corners and Larry was, yeah, just cruising back to the pits, didn't realise Dick was on a flying lap, didn't see Dick and just happened to move into his path. And as, Yeah, um, in the fence and what pancaked the side of the car, the side that Dick sat on, I think, from memory as well. So, yeah, lucky boy. Uh, that, although... Dick had his own wings on his car that weekend. Same couldn't be said for the Commodore drivers because... They didn't have enough of them. No, so that was the weekend that Holden had a new aero package pushed through to try to help them after getting pretty much wiped by the Falcons for the first half of that touring car season. One might say it was the first time all year they had an aero package. Yes, it was a bit of a bus um, otherwise before that. So you had this unique scenario where the two groups of qualifying, there are only enough rear wings to go around between... X amount of cars at the time. So I think there was, from memory, you know, Terry Finnegan driving around with a Peter Brock rear wing yeah. on the back of his car and a bit of all that sort of stuff, which, you know, that sort of stuff. If it went on today, everyone would cry foul of how disorganised it all is and what a rabble. But when it happens back in the day, we look at it and go, you know, oh, the rose-coloured glasses fun, come yes. out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so hilarious. And that was the same weekend that Longhurst's BMWs and the Diet Coke and B&H cars got those DTM style. Oh, the, uh, the full extension spec, oh, yeah. Oh, man, it was like you could put your dinner on the front of that thing. Watch like, your ankles, yeah. Yeah, you're going to get it sliced off. But yeah. didn't really help um, around that place. But they always tried – Eastern Creek somehow, for some reason in that time, proved to be a pivotal place. So you had that aero thing in 93, which basically tipped the balance to Holden from there on. I mean, they pretty much dominated the back end of the touring car season. Mm. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. 
Supercars. Unforgettable. The following year, Peter Brock wins for the Holden Racing Team. So that's a Bannerhead figurative moment where he'd gone back to the factory team, done all right in the first part of the year, and then delivered the champ- the first championship win that HRT had ever had. With Tom Walkinshaw on the ground, there, kind of. Yeah, which was – he left before the end of the last race. Yeah. race. So yeah. he was still there. But uh, first race win, first round win. They'd won some dashes, but they didn't obviously count as no. um, championship races. But then you've got um, – I just always felt like that track – threw up the odd different thing. It was always hard to get a fully – and because you had the tyre war going on uh, the time. Of course, control tyres didn't come along to what, 1999. So mm-hmm. you always had this case of uh, – it sort of always felt more like a Bridgestone track because in those times when there wasn't the restriction on testing like there is now, there would be full-on end-of-season tyre tests and they'd go everywhere, particularly Eastern Creek because mm-hmm. of the – the loads that it would create, the speeds that it would create that you couldn't replicate um, at some other tracks. But the Brock wins a pivotal one in the history of that team. Um, but then you had the probably an overlooked storyline is the Scaife storyline of 95 mm. where he has that massive, massive, massive crash in the shootout, uh, sorry, in the triple challenge, writes off the car in hospital, misses around, busted yeah, yeah. up. You know, in a bad way, and probably in a far Lucky worse. Lucky not to DNF himself, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah, in a far worse way than he ever would have let on at the time. Yeah, and then comes back and wins the last race of the round there mid-season, which is probably quite forgotten in the grand scheme of things. But you know, that's a really big return that that he had there, and it was a pretty rare case of Yokohama winning at Eastern Creek. Yes, I had no idea till I looked at the numbers of that. That that race was only four months after that crash. It's not all that long a period yeah, of time. Championship in those days was quite compressed in the early part mm. of the calendar. We're so used to it sort of hitting this mid part of the year where it's sort of just one every three, maybe four weeks. Like as we record this, it's mid July. Plenty of years where the Touring Car Championships pretty much at the end of it by now. I was going to say, if we're talking about compressed calendars, 96, the next year, I think, ticks that box. Yeah, and that was because of the Atlanta Olympics and Channel 7's commitment to it. And this, the same had been the case for 92 because they mm. had Barcelona on as well. So, But 96, also there's a pivotal element there. Mm. And that's probably why 95 gets forgotten because the two years either side of it are a Brock Bannerhead HRT win and a Lowndes under lights, Australia Day weekend, wasn't it? Um, those things stand out and the SCAFE comeback kind of slips away a little bit because of those two big things either side of it. And a lot of people probably forget, yes, Lowndes won his first round, but mm. he didn't win the first race. No, he did not. Which he, is JB. He pushed JB very hard in that first race, mm. but uh, no, mm. he did not win it. But he won the round. He won two more races and, and got the job done, but... Under lights, I just it's staggering that here we are, you know, what was that, 96? On the short circuit. On too. the short track, the, the little link road yeah. flip-flop track, which uh, Oscar NASCAR had previously used prior to that. Mm. So here we are, what, 2023. So we're nearly 30 years on, not far off. Mm. And how many night events have we done since then? Quite a, a few, but not met, not A handful yeah. in the grand scheme of how many. Like We've got to be racing at night. Way more often, yeah. way more often. And, of course, we get to do it again at Sydney Motorsport Park for, for this year. But it's just it's just a factor that could help a regular racetrack round have an element of importance. So long may the super night continue at SMP. They've got the lights. It's made for it. It's perfect. Yeah, totally, totally. 
It's funny that, of course, it was SMP that kind of brought night racing back in 2018. Yeah, yeah, because it had been, you know, it became a thing for Perth mm. around that time. But and isn't it funny how at the time it was, wow, it's new and it's different, it's amazing, and you're like, it is for those who've only been around for the last yeah. 10 or 15 years, but it had been a thing before at the very same venue. Yeah. And, and look, that was great. In 18, that was a great thing to do. Well, I remember like standing around on the Thursday of the 2017 round when Fabian Coulthard and Simona De Silvestro went out and did those validation runs That's under right. with that. a bit of temporary lighting at turns one and two and nothing around the rest of the circuit but yeah. headlights, yeah. which was spectacular. So fully, fully support any version of night racing that we do in the future. Got to find a way to do more of it. I mean, yeah. you know, footy moved to it in the late 80s in – AFL, VFL. It wasn't even AFL that long ago. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we, we've got to find a way to do it more often. I think it's it's a real bannerhead element. Yes, it comes with cost and difficulties, but there's a couple of venues that, that make obvious sense and you've got to create some wow factor. Yeah. Some of these rounds have to have a signature added to them. Some of them don't need it. Bathurst doesn't need it. Adelaide doesn't need it. Gold Coast doesn't need it. Sandown probably doesn't need it. But some of these regular racetrack rounds need to have something that stands out rather than just another round. Like a night race at QR, I feel, oh, would be it's spectacular. it's always been the one I've felt. Yeah, yeah. Because you think about the, the, the venue location and the, the design of the track and where you would put the lights, you could you could do that pretty well. You could do it. You I, I do know it. it's temporary lighting and I know it's always – I never say any of these things completely blinded by the fact that it doesn't cost money or mm. effort. Like it, you don't just click your fingers and that stuff happens. But – to make some of these rounds really stand out as must-see TV or must-attend stuff, I reckon we've got to find a way to do a little bit more of that stuff and create some unique signature elements. But having said all that, there's no one who could ever, whether the lights are on or the lights are off, jump a start like Mark Scaife did in 1997 <laughs> at Eastern Creek. Uh, the lights were still definitely on, I think. <laughs> I, I think they still are. Uh. Which was, per I mean, it was a ruse. It was a total ruse. It wasn't just a got a bit eager on the clutch pedal. Oh, because who was, who was the sponsor of that car that day? The Australian 1000 Classic, which was the new Bathurst race that V8, well, Avesco, IMG were were running for the V8s right at the middle of that whole big war over over Bathurst, so at the ARDC circuit, it, which I think was just a nice <laughs> added bonus to to really rub it in, and that was the um, that was a really pivotal time in all of that stuff because Cochrane was flying barbs at the ARDC, who were flying barbs around. Of course, ARDC ran the Bathurst One Thousand, which became a two liter race with Channel Seven. Um, V8s took their cars and teams and drivers and went and created their own Bathurst. The war lasted what two years. Avesco won by a mile and pressed on as the Bathurst 1000, which, you know, I think we get chipped quite often about people about what's the Bathurst 1000, what isn't, what isn't. But I think um, I actually wrote this in the new book that I've got coming out in August. I know a bloke that's done a book yeah, on this recently. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, yeah, you can say what you like, whether TV networks own the Bathurst 1000 or it's, you know, private equity funds or, you know, boards or committees or whatever, but the reality is that the people own the Bathurst 1000 and if you present two races to them and they vote on one of them, that's the Bathurst 1000, whether yep. you've got the the name or, or you've got not. So while all that battle was going on, funnily enough, V8s didn't go to Eastern Creek in, <laughs> in 1998, but they were back the next year for the first round, but we had yet another big shunt with Todd Kelly down at Turn 1, pretty much all but wrote off one of the XHRT cars. In fact, that was the 
Brock Scaife Bathurst 97 car that got absolutely pulverised. It was a tyre failure at turn one. And he yeah, just, not the first one. No, yeah. not the last one. He just kept no. going and nailed the wall because there wasn't really much of a sand trap there. No, you just kept going. Day. Yeah, you kept going back in those days. And Because I remember, was it Scott McLaughlin in the 2018 preseason test had a tyre fail? Exact yeah, same spot, yeah. but um, yeah, he had a nice big row of tyres to run into. Yeah, and, and that was before the days of the um, yellow and black SMP paint too. Mm, remember the rebrand yeah. came along, what, 2012? 2012, 2012 they, yeah. They, let, they modified the little flip-flop section over the back just into a straight. One of the know, best things they the could fair. have done, to oh, be it was, it was the best thing. It yeah. actually turned into a passing opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. We get asked quite often, why don't they use the long, long circuit for the supercars? Oh, man, could bunch you of, imagine? Like bunch oh, of first-gear hairpins. Uh, like, no good. Set up, set up the um, rear handbrake so you could get around like world rally car style. Yeah, I, I did see one year I was at the Muscle Car Masters and there was a really entertaining race between, for the lead of a Group N race, between a Mustang and a Mini. That was perfect <laughs> for it. That was great yeah. because that was the Mini's chance to get back in the race. But once they sort of spat back out of that part of the track onto the old little run up to Mustang goes by or whatever it is, yeah, yeah the Mustang sort of just, yeah bug it off and, and did their thing. But we talked about the Townsville round on that podcast and the weirdness. Mm. Eastern Creek's had weirdness beyond on track. And I was there that this this round happened from my memory. Maybe I wasn't covering this one um, from that track. It's the only time I can ever think of, maybe you can think of something, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, whereby two drivers were penalised for something that was done in a non-race car that they didn't do and were not in at the time. No, I, I can't think of another instance of that happening. And I can't imagine Mark Scaife and Jason Bright would have been all that pleased to have copped a points penalty for something that they didn't do. So for those who don't know the story, 2001, so Mark Scaife is at the top of his game. He's the reigning supercars champion. He's the lead driver of the Holden Racing Team. Jason Bright's his new teammate. Um, he's come back from America in a year in Indy Lights. At Eastern Creek... The weirdest thing happened where they got 30-point championship penalties each and the team copped a $10,000 fine for a HRT team member. And I think we've talked about this on the pod before. Mm. I know who it was, but I won't name them. (laughs) Um, Doing burnouts in a promo car behind the pits after the race. Now, if that doesn't tell you that at the time, because HRT was so dominant, that 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 ever – Got and I'm not aligned here. People can say what they like, but that was ridiculous. The most, I mean, sure, penalised the team or the bloke or whatever, but that the drivers got penalised. Drivers' championship points for that was but, ridiculous. But you think about what they could have, what levers they could pull in terms of penalising teams and offering a very big incentive for it to never happen again. There was no team's championship back in the day, not in the sense not that we know. Not in the point score. Yeah. There, there was, but it was only if it was the driver that won the driver's championship mm. won the team's championship for their team. Exactly. That's the way it happened. So if you were going to offer up an incentive to um, deter people from doing such things, then penalising the drivers fine. is- uh, 80 grand fine. Just of the uh, richest team in the country? Yeah, it still hurts. It if still hurts, a, but- If you like, find them 100 grand, that's a shitload more T-shirts than $90,000 worth difference. Yeah. Don't yeah, worry, Crono would have been bleeding. Like, it would have been bleeding. Yeah. You would have achieved the same outcome, but that, that was a penalty for something that was off the track after the event. Team that sport. The boys didn't do. Team sport. Yeah, yeah, it is. But seriously, give the team a fine, like a bigger fine than the 10K they got. That was 
a joke. But it came off the back of some more weirdness that day because we had a system. So the compulsory pit stop was sort of a bit fresh then. Mm. But it was introduced there, which was a disaster for Glenn Seaton and Steve Richards. So the two FTR cars, Ford Tickford cars, they do the let's keep going, let's keep going, let's keep going. It's like the price is right with that um with that yodeler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I he remember that. Running the risk as yes, he gets closer and closer the hill, to the top. Yodlehi, yodlehi, and yep. then if you let him go, he goes off the edge. Yeah. Right now, people are going, oh my god, these guys have just got Thelgo. And the price is right into a pod. And you said magnifique twice. And we haven't even tried yet. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. This is ridiculous. Anyway, so so they'd had that issue. Safety car comes out. They've cooked. They've yeah. cooked their race. And because it's finished where you uh, start where you finish, their weekend's cooked. Yes. Basically, the round's cooked. And then you have this unbelievable situation. And I reckon a lot of people have forgotten this. And I have until I read the notes, but it was just madness. So... Craig Lowndes wins the first race for Gibson Motorsport. He's, he's a Ford man by that stage. Hmm. So everyone goes, yeah, wow, Lowndes, he wins. No good. He gets boned because he passed Greg Murphy under a yellow flag. Yes. Which was hard to spot and hard to see, but he did it and he got pinged. So you go, oh, well, Mark Sambros, congratulations, you win the No. <laughs> Second place got pinged as well um, for hitting Murph while he was passing him. So out of all that, the bloke who won the race <laughs> Come was on Murph. down, Greg Murphy. Like, can you believe that? Like, that is uh, just one of those things that I think has been overlooked over time. So, yeah, Eastern Creek being weird, but at least everyone who kind of turned up there got to go. The next year, that's when it really – the poo hit the fan over pre-qualifying. Well, we talked about the fact that th- this circuit was built for 500cc motorcycle racing and, of course, the main star when it was built was Wayne Gardner – don't reckon he'd have thought that he would have ever failed to qualify for a race there. And yet, <laughs> 2002, he missed the cut after pre-qualifying. It was one of several cars. Well, that was 10 years after he'd missed the Australian Grand Prix, wasn't it? Because Which, to be he- fair, he broke his leg at Suzuka yeah, <laughs> a couple yeah, of weeks right. beforehand. Was it 92 or 93? That was 92. 92. That yeah, was yeah. last year that he – yeah, that was last he year. He was rode. there in commentary and, like, as part of the Channel 9 coverage. Daryl Beatty rode. Darryl. Correct. Factory Honda, didn't he? Yeah, yes. That's right. Jeez, things you remember. Yeah, so 2002 we had this situation where pre-qualifying was going on where, you know, however many cars turned up for 32 spots, I think it was 35 cars, 36, something, something like that. Something like that. A couple that. of them went home. Gardner was one of them. Um, I think there were, that was an era where in addition to the privateer entries of which were getting less and less, there were a few teams entering three cars, like Castrol Perkins Racing had three cars. Yep. HRT effectively had three cars with the two HRT entries in the Young Lions car. Um, Greg Ritter was in a third DJR car at some rounds. Yep, car 71. That one, yep. which he, yeah, I think he made it in. He did make it yeah. in. Um, yeah. And Gardner was in a third Stone Brothers Racing car at a handful of rounds that year and did not make it in. Yeah. Yeah, so it, that, and that was where it really blew up because you had teams who had paid for corporate hospitality suites and – didn't have a car in the race, in the yeah. races on Sunday. It was, And that was actually when there was a twilight race on the Saturday. Yeah. But I don't think that was on TV, was it? That is an extremely good question. I don't. Maybe that goes back to our forgotten races yeah. pod from earlier in the year. But I, I feel like remember, it was shown but maybe not in fo- not maybe live or late Highlights night. were shown yeah. the next day, yeah. But I do remember that John Faulkner finished third. I think John remembers that at, too. At a time when his team had really struggled and was really down and struggling. But they'd... Um, they put in a big effort for that round and ended up with a 
yeah, like third in the race, which was I think just behind the two HRT cars or Be- behind Scaife and Ambrose. Oh, Ambrose. Okay. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. he talks about he talked about that a fair bit when he joined us on the V8 Sleep yeah, podcast a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was a couple of years ago. If you haven't heard our John Faulkner episode, have a listen. It's a ripping story of how a, a bloke from New Zealand ended up um, getting to not just the top category in Australian racing, but running his own team um, at the same time. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. 2003, so we're 20 years on now. And everyone talks about what happened at the last round of that year, but no one really talks about the first round that happens in 2003. All right, that's kind of the forgotten one where after all those years of Ford fans enduring the misery of the AU Falcon and getting trounced by TWR and Perkins and everyone else, Ford's locked out the podium. Yeah, Ambrose, Lowndes at FPR, Russell Ingle in that first round. It was 300k single driver race, so they wipe out the podium Although Ambrose did cop five hundred buck fine, mm. uh, five hundred buck fine is what I was trying to say. Yes, um, because he stood on the pit wall while a car was still in the track during the shootout after he got pole. So I think that got covered by Tony Cochran in the end. Was it that one, or was it, didn't he? Or maybe it was the Adelaide one. Didn't he cop one at Adelaide one year as well for doing yeah, similar? something like that? But yeah, there was that was a point where the penalties were so trigger happy on mm. anything and everything, and the whole. Bringing the sport into disrepute got to run so many times it was out of control. But do you remember the other big element? And some of our listeners are going to just fall <laughs> off their chair absolutely going, hang on, bravo, boys, you've mentioned it and we never thought you would. As the person who spotted this and had to double-check it in our A&1 data it's database, you. It's all you. this was David Thexton's first championship race start. And the important thing is, Start because mm. he made he tried to qualify at Adelaide, didn't make the cut. Tried to qualify at Phillip Island, didn't make the cut. But at Eastern Creek, he sure did. Made the cut. First of seven race appearances. And as much as people want to knock him for being there, he finished 16th in a Bathurst 1000, and I haven't. And so I sure cannot should fault, have either. Cannot criticize the man. Exactly. So that was the first one. But the first round of that year gets overshadowed by the second one and it's really- Did did something dramatic happen at the second one? Well, something got a little bit heated. So um, little Mark and little Russell had a little bit of a tiff and, you know, shit happened. And we've heard about it ever since. But I think the funniest thing that when I stop and look at this over 20 years, whenever there's been a controversial incident, whether it be in V8 supercars or any sport, the people who have been in it, generally over time shy away from it. Hmm. So Ambrose and Murph, the, the Bathurst run-in of 05, both of them kind of have shied away from it over the journey. They aren't fire and brimstone about it. It happened. It's a thing. Oh, if they had their time over, and Murph has said this to me on the pod before too, hmm. oh, if you had your time over, you'd probably go differently. Yeah. But these two, they're the ones who fanned it for the <laughs> last 10 years. Seriously. I still remember the day that it was announced that Fox Sports had acquired the broadcast rights from 2015 onwards. This is back when I was working at Fox. We went out to lunch and Mark Scaife and Russell Ingle were there. And to think that those two could possibly be planning on spending most of their weekends together in the same room, 
<laughs> just was just mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, it, it was really strange. That got really nasty, and this was at a time before social media. Oh, thank so goodness you, for could that. Could you imagine? No, I mean, I couldn't. Man, it was nasty from in Fanland between those blokes, between the teams, between the menu. It was. I'll tell you, I lived it. It was nasty. There was some real nasty stuff going on around that time. So, but when you look at it, it's it's one of the pivotal top, maybe top five moments in the history of the sport. Of oh, confrontations absolutely. of things that people remember. Yeah. That's up there with Jim Richards' pack of arseholes. It's up there with some of the big crashes that people remember. The Ambrose Murph. Yeah, totally. It, it's right up there, and and it's a great. It is the perfect, not endorsement, but it's the perfect piece of history that shows if you're trying to explain tribal passion of Australian motorsport to someone who doesn't follow it or is from somewhere around the world, mm. just play the tape. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Play the tape. Absolutely. Play the tape. I've definitely heard stories of fans running a long distance from where they were watching to get back like through the tunnel out the back of the paddock area so they could give Mark Scaife a spray when that, when he got back to the pits. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He went down to the Stone Brothers' garages, didn't he? He actually they went tried. in there and yeah. they sort of half yeah. farmed him off out of the joint. So that was kind of that. But, yes, the uh, it does live on. And last I saw and heard that that Caltex car that was in the incident mm. is in the National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama on display, as far as I'm aware, last time I heard. So yeah, right. um, our good friends. But, of course... Don't go on Tuesdays. Don't go on Tuesdays. Unless it's school holidays. Unless it's school holidays and it's it's open open on pretty much. But check the museum's Bathurst website before you commit to your trip to go to the museum at the mountain because you want to make sure the door's open rather than – Because you can't see much from the outside, No, because it's got a big, huge, amazing sticker of the 1968 Bathurst start on the outside. So you can look at that lovely sticker photo all day that's on the whole of those big sliding doors. And please stay off the curbs in the car park. There are curbs in the car park. Yeah, you could probably set a lap record in there um, yes. with the use of said curb. So that was 2003. But it wasn't just the Murph – sorry, it wasn't just the Scaife and Ingle shriek at the creek that stands out. Quite often you get these rounds where there's those pivotal big ticket things, but then there's some other things that were around it that if they were the only things that happened that weekend, they'd probably get a good piece of people's memory. Hmm. But they sort of fade away. But if we raise them like we are about to now, people go, oh, yeah, that's right. So that's the one that Murph couldn't race the last race because he'd slipped the disc in his back doing the was the VB challenge, pulling the handbrake or yeah, getting but, out of the car yeah, or whatever it was. Something like that, yeah. Which very was aggressively legitimate injury. Hand, yeah. A lot of people were like, no, 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 that's bullshit. Because he had back dramas over the course of his – quite well, a few back dramas yeah, over the course I mean, of his career. Some years later he missed a chunk of racing hmm. because of it. But um, And, of course, Ambrose wrapped up his first championship and broke a drought for Ford, literally, because yep. the joint flooded yes. um, to the point where it knocked out all the timing from memory and the power in the pits. And uh, I'd actually left the track by then because I was working for Career Cup at the time and we'd had our last race and we were gone before Sensible. the rain absolutely ploughed into the joint. I was lucky. We were having, setting up the awards dinner, so we were, watch, we were watching on TV. Having lost a pair of shoes to a um, severe rainstorm at Sydney <laughs> Motorsport Park, I cannot blame you for wanting to get out of there before uh, that happened. But, but that was the full round, full event, full field shootout. Every car did the shootout in that 2003 final round. It does mean David Thexton did a shootout. Yeah. It, was that the one where fans drew 
the balls from a barrel on who went where in what That's order. the one. And the person who managed to be paired with the fastest driver in the shootout earned a year's supply of VB. <laughs> the full story I'm sure on that is on our website. There was a caveat around that one somehow. There, there, were no, there was a specific number that you received. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but we did the full story on it a couple of years was, ago. That's Strange right. but true. It is on the V8 Sleuth website. Strange but true. Look it up uh, in the site. There's a search function within our V8 Sleuth website to have a bit of a squeeze. So, a couple of the other things. So, the double round thing continued for 04, grand final being the grand final. Grand finale. Oh, sorry, grand finale. Um, Marcus crashed in practice, but still he won the Saturday race, which was shown in prime time on Channel 10, mm. to wrap it up. That Because they changed that because they thought he might be able to win the championship there and then, and he did. Triple uh, Eight got on the podium with Paul Radisic, first time the first on the podium. Yeah. Yep. And then, of course, the next year Craig won the round to win their first round. So the, uh, the floodgates kind of opened after that. And Rick Kelly drove the Buick that weekend before going to China with it. Ah, uh, yes. Which a lot of people forget, the HSV dealer team car that became – the um, the Buick. There was another one off livery that weekend, I think, from memory, uh, down at Team BOC or Team oh, COB as, the, <laughs> as it was on Car 21. Is this the upside down logos? Yeah, Brad Jones had unfortunately um, ended up inverted at Pukekohe and at Barbagallo. So um, the team decided to run the logos on the car upside down <laughs> to, um, to you, take advantage of that in case chances. you do it again. Do they do that with Aussie Mail as well? Oh, it rings a, rings, a, yeah. rings a bell. Yeah, he had a good couple of goes at it. Other weirdness, other unique things, uh, and we'll skip through it because there's – in the more modern era, I tend to find that there's not as much stuff. I mean, there is a bit of stuff that's happened, but the good glory stuff's in the 90s and noughties, I reckon. But uh, there's some good stuff to come. Yeah. So 07, Scaife wins that round on Queen's birthday weekend, which breaks the record of Peter Brock for most championship round wins. And this is where chassis numbers matter. Because at the time, oh, Aaron, who bothers with all that crap? No one bothers with chassis numbers. They do when it's Walkinshaw Racing Chassis 05 that he's yes. debuting that weekend. And, of course, everyone picked up on that and ran with it. And then all of a sudden, oh, oh they're not, a thing. Such, not yeah. such a nerdy now. Yeah. That's a pretty good thing. Oh, who would have thought? <laughs> but Jamie Winkup wasn't thinking about any of that at the time. No. He was left to rue what ultimately – and you can't say it cost him the championship because other rounds and races that went wrong cost him the championship too – but he got booted from the last race because they had the wrong brake rotors on the car. They had the old spec ones that they were going to use at a ride day the next day, not the control units that had been introduced, I think, that year. Yes. In, yeah. in that year. Um, and the points he lost from finishing fourth were actually the points that would have won in the championship. Would have won in the if championship the rest by of the comfortable margin. had unfolded as it did. So. Yeah, it was 15 points that he lost and he lost and, it by two. <laughs> and that was the era when we the points only went down to 15th. Yes. It was not the whole everyone gets a point if you finish type scenario that went on. So we had Scaife break a record in 07. The next year was really the arrival of Will Davison. Yes. Because he won the round, won a race. DJR had been winless since 01 at the Queensland 500. Mm. They were in huge trouble. Like Charlie Schwerkot had just kind of got involved there in an ownership point of view or had he just or was he just about to? I think he was about to. I think he was just about to. Yeah. Um, you know, the budget was tight, things were tight, but Will delivered a really nice performance that sort of fueled them up and, and got them through and, and pressed them on. So that was great for his stocks. So he went home with the winner's trophy, but Richo went home with – Stephen Richards went home with a rooted car and a headache. Yeah, the arrival of Will Davison and the departure of FPR 604. Mm, yeah, which they ended up – so that's the car that Richo was driving, the Castrol FPR car, coming out of turn three, the right-hander that left front went 
straight ahead and it shoved the engine so far back in that car they had to get the jaws of life from a local fire station out to the workshop when they got it back to cut out the engine from the leftovers of that car. It's a big, big hit. Oh, it was insane. It was insane. And then what was then we went into this Eastern Creek on and off period. Oh nine and ten, no races, only, you know, ride days or or some private testing and stuff like that. Although you've got a note here, and I, I don't even remember this, but a TV show did some V8 supercar running. Yeah, it's something I stumbled across during the research for the Triple Eight book. So Team Vodafone was involved with one of the challenges for The Biggest Loser, which was filmed Channel in- Channel 10 TV Channel show. Channel 10 TV show, which was filmed in Pit Lane at Sydney Motorsport Park. But the trick to this is it, sure, it went to air around the time of the Australian Grand Prix weekend, but it had been filmed back in January before the whole before the team's new VE Commodores were revealed with their race livery. So if you'd been sneaking around at Sydney Motorsport Park that day, <laughs> you'd have copped quite the exclusive. Was it their ride car? It was their ride car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A Vodafone ride car that no one had seen properly before that. No, which we got very used to seeing Vodafone cars um, on Commodores after that. That's for sure. But so we no racing there in what nine and ten preseason test day there in eleven, but no round. Mm-hmm. Back on the calendar in twenty twelve by be- default. It because, hadn't. It wasn't there originally. So what? Because there was going to be an international round that didn't happen. Is that yeah, that was, was pe- going to be paired, I presume, with Abu Dhabi towards the tail end of the season. Ah, yes. And then they weren't able to secure one. So Winton moved from being in August to the end of the year and SMP, as it was then known, slotted in to the August date. And that was the first year that it was known at Sydney Motorsport Park. The yellow and black paint went up everywhere. Yeah. Uh, The the hamburger on Pitt Strait got the repaint job. It was turned into a proper bun. Yes. (laughs) No sauce. No sauce. Uh, So it, it had a complete... Makeover, and then what do you know? Bang! It's off the calendar again next year. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It did at least it did at least have the preseason test day as a solid, consistent thing over those next few years, which was pretty cool—a pretty cool era because it meant in 2013 it was the first time a lot of people got to see the Nissan, the first time anyone got to see the Mercedes yep. on track, and that and, wonderful and it had the crank, yeah, um, the uh, crossplane crank. That's it. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It sounded so good. The following year, it was the Volvo that made its big public yep. debut 14. there. Yep. Uh, so that yeah. is the same test day. That, and I remember those test days well. I think I went to most of them, if not all of them. Definitely not the 15 one, but no. the other ones beforehand, yeah. where they'd put all the cars on the grid with the drivers and it was a free-for-all for fans to go out and get photos amazing. and autographs. Yeah. It was fantastic. But I do remember getting a little scarred by the 2014 one a little bit mm-hmm. because I was out there filming for Channel 7 for V8 Extra and it was, and a bloke came up to me and said, "Oh, good day, Jack. Did know you're doing TV stuff now." <laughs> now, Jack Perkins and I have glasses. We both love old race car histories. There's a bit of a height I'm about difference six there. Foot four. Yeah. He's about five foot nine, five foot ten. So, he's race car driver height. You're not. Correct. That's probably the difference. Correct. Yeah. Um, Hey, look, I've been called worse things in my life, but that will just always stay with me. Uh, He was driving the Geldwing car. And the funniest thing, though, was he was just standing just over there. (laughs) Did he hear it? Yeah, he did. (laughs) Then he came over and we all had a laugh. So, yeah, there you go. Anyway, anyway, that was was a bit of a laugh. Um, In more recent times, so 
obviously there was that was it fourteen that was the wet round that Van Gisbergen just went nuts and all the drifting and did all the drifting yeah, and yeah. driving on the grass down the pit straight while leading. Driving on the grass was the following year to cool the tires. Oh, that was fifteen. Yeah, that yeah, was fifteen. Okay, there was a couple of years there, and then there was that period there where McLaughlin and Mostert were just the pole kings. Yeah, they just nailed all the poles for like three or four years between them. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but the one that stands out for me, and it was kind of the the where the simmering feud started to really spark between Triple Eight and Penske's, was at seventeen when McLaughlin unloaded Van Gisbergen down at turn two. Oh, yes, the bumper. He, he he got the upper hand on him on a restart yes. where he overlapped him and got a run and and caught Scott a little bit of sleep and sort of out of place. And Scott just went, "I stuff it," and just got <laughs> frustrated and belted him. Um, that's where it really, I reckon, simmered up and then we all went, oh, hello, these the two new powerhouses that are going to be at one another for the next, what were they, three or four years or something. So, See, the whole Scafe Ingle thing copped the name The Shriek at the Creek. I've always been trying to think of what you could call that, this 2017 thing. The bump by the dump is a, <laughs> is a clubhouse leader. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, right. The culpability by the waste transfer facility is a distant second. Yeah. There is light years between those two yeah. candidates. I did enjoy the. Can you wheel the Arnott's Biscuits factory? So, for those who've not been to a Sydney Motorsport Park, there it's is a real cacophony of smells depending on which way the wind's going on around there. So, in in the last ten or fifteen years, the um, the the sheer amount of facilities out there, as in um, big storage warehouse centres for various huge retailers, have popped mm. up. You know, you used to be able to drive in the track and not much would be around, but you drive that, it's what Jack Brabham Drive, I think it yeah. is, that heads you towards the track. And there's pretty much stuff everywhere now. Like it used to be a couple yeah. here and there. But if you've not been to the track there before, on one end there's over near sort of what turn one, two sort of end, mm. there's over the back of the access road and a bit further, there's a, a refuse or a waste, waste transfer facility. facility, waste transfer facility. Yeah. So on, it, on some days where the wind blows that in that way, you cop a whiff of wool. But at the other end of the track, there's an Arnott's, or there was, I don't know if it still is, an Arnott's Biscuit Factory. Yeah. So when the wind's blowing that way, it's a great day. <laughs> it's, it's a great like, day. Is it Scotch Finger Day or is it, you know, Tiny Titties Tim or Tim Tams? Oh, mate, yeah. it's, it's delightful. It's, there's the opposite, a bit of everything yeah. going on there. There's yeah. a bit of everything, a bit of everything. But it's one of those places that I've got a lot of great memories of being at Eastern Creek over the years in Sydney Motorsport Park. Given what's happened in New South Wales, I mean, there's bugger all tracks. Like, yeah. hopefully, Wakefield Park gets up and running again soon to help service that state and you know that area that people can be having a run around there a little bit more somewhere down the track. But Circuit Italia in the future as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, and, and that we've seen a bit of that on the website in recent times with some of the imagery and some of the stuff that Damien White's been sharing and said um, uh, drone pilots who've parked there. <laughs> Without trying to, <laughs> but yeah, look, there's there's a pot, and I know there's a lot of people who um, uh, Eastern Creek, and and it probably got the bad rap because of that whole period where there were four rounds there in a row, and yeah. um, but it, it got us out of jail in COVID. It got racing going again, albeit we we're watching at home, but we we're able to see it in 2020. Then there was another round there a little bit later on after that, so it helped keep the thing going. Yes. So I know it cops a bit of a rough rap sometimes with some of the. Um, the things that have gone on there or the things people aren't ugh, maybe all that thrilled about the venue. But I'll tell you what, it's a big, fast-flowing track. We don't have many of those. I love the fact that we can chop it up. I'd like to see them try the short track again. 
It would be interesting having having been. It takes away a lot of passing opportunities, but I think it'd be worth something just for something different. Well, mix up strategy as well because if you if they're racing on that short track, it's not a long lap. So if you yeah. hit for an extended period of time, you'll go down a lap. Yeah, yeah, and why not try? I mean, well, that that sequence of four rounds in as many weekends would have been the perfect oh, time to try, perfect. especially with the championship largely squared away yeah. by. Yeah. by the eventual winner. Yeah. And if we're going to need or want more rounds on the calendar, which – and of all those – I mean, there's a few obvious tracks floating around that, you know, everyone says, well, Phillip Island, Winton, Queensland Raceway. Yeah. Not as simple as you might instantly think. But what's wrong with adding a round at Eastern Creek on the short track somewhere else in the calendar year? Even just – Turn even- it into a big – like under lights, make it a big shebang, yeah. you know, bullring style round where it's, you know – let them at it. You well, know? if we think this, if you think back, like the Super Night back in 2018 was meant to be on that layout originally. Originally, it was too. Yeah, they yeah. changed their mind. Yeah, yeah. Which give it a go. Look, what's the worst thing that Use could happen? Use the bumper. Well, I didn't say that. I well, didn't. They need to. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Not many passes. You yeah, you're pretty much if you're not going to nail someone on the run down into turn one, you're going to have to nail them somewhere. Two. Yeah. You're pretty much stuck behind for the rest of the lap. But th- think outside the square. Under lights, okay, we do that. But different track, throws a different alternative up to people, put it at a different time of year. It's great for television. I think it would be worth having a look at. Like, you know, how often do NASCAR over the years go the same track twice in a year? Regularly. Different styles of events, longer or shorter. You know, it's got to be worth a bit of a crack, don't you think? No, I completely agree. I'd love to see that at different venues. Mm, yeah. yeah, mix it up. And that's the place that you can do it because yes. it's got the ability to be able to to run a short track. So City Motorsport Park, plenty of history over the years in the Australian Touring Car Championship and now with the Repco Supercars Championship. Of course, the Bow Repair Sydney Super Night is on at the end of the month, end of July, um, under lights. Get to see a bit of supercars under lights on a Saturday night and then How good Sunday. are the Flames going to look this oh, year? Oh, we've got Flames They're back. back. Yes, yes, that'll be ace. That will stand out. It's a bit strange, though, that the drivers with these new cars don't get a practice in the night before they actually have to run in the night. You mean in these cars they have much lo- less visibility out of? Yeah, that's what I was that's, thinking. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're professional drivers and professional teams. They'll do their thing and they sure will. do the best that they can do with it. But uh, looking forward to seeing it. Um, going to be there at Sydney Motorsport Park uh, with SEN radio coverage. So if you're um, not able to get to a TV or if you're not around but you're near a radio, you can tune in SEN on the app and listen to James Moffat and myself with commentary from Sydney and we'll be covering the rest of the rounds of the supercars this year uh, on SEM as well. So that's said to be a big one. Uh, we'll have Repco Supercars Weekly, by the way, on Friday this week with the latest in news and notes from the Repco Supercars Championship. Tuesdays is the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast, the award-winning Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. Stefan Bartholomew and Andrew Van Leeuwen have all the latest news, notes, quotes, insights, analysis and opinion. Did I cover Did I get it? Yeah, I think that's yeah, every box. Was, I think that was just about it. And they crack um, a few jokes as well. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's always... Um, you know, Aviel's got that, uh, you know, the co-driver thing at the start of everyone. We probably need to come up with something like that. Oh, it's their thing. It's okay, well, it's, well, it's something different, something yeah. better. Yeah, well, I, I think our gag about you saying your own name is, is good enough, but it's, it is it's it something. Is, it's something, yeah. something. Hey, Motorsport Podcast Network, we are your place for motorsport pods every week. Uh, thanks for tuning in again to the V8 Sleuth Podcast, polished by Bowden's Own Car Care. Don't forget, premium car care, you can get it in Repco in Australia and New Zealand and other auto stores too. A big thank you to the team at Bowden's Own for jumping on board with us as our naming rights partner of the pod for the next couple of months. It's great to have them 
with us as well. Uh, as I mentioned, Repco Supercars Weekly, Castro Motorsport News Podcast, and we'll chat to you again next week on this, the V8 Sleuth Podcast as well. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.